Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see everybody today. And I, too, am excited about Alex speaking next week. He's taking a preaching class right now, and they were uh, kind of encouraging the students, if you get an opportunity to preach while you're taking the class, that would be great. So I called him, and I said, have I got an opportunity for you? So uh, he's going to be speaking. We're excited about that. Um, excited about Easter and all that God is doing. We're just going to keep Easter going for a while. So we're calling this new series Alive. And we're going to talk about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus uh, for the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to be focusing on that. But i like to start with something a little bit lighter. So there was a man in, uh, that was uh, quite ill. And so he and his wife uh, went to the doctor uh, to see what was wrong with him. And the doctor did a battery of tests on him. And uh, just ran all kinds of tests. And finally, when he got done with the test, asked the guy to get dressed and leave the room so he could talk to the guy's wife. And when he did, the wife said, uh, well, give it to me straight, doctor. And the doctor said, well, I got to tell you, uh, your, your, son, your husband is going to die unless you take extreme measures. And uh, he said, if, unless you, like, cook him everything he wants... Make sure that he has no stress. Give him massages. Anything he asks for, you need to make sure that uh, your husband gets it or he's going to die. And uh, so um, she got done with the doctor, left the room. They got in the car to leave, and the husband said, well, what did the doctor say? And the wife said, the doctor said, you're going to die. <laughs> hey, last week we, we left the Easter story with Mary Magdalene having heard her name be called by Jesus. We left with Peter and John having been to the tomb and John seeing and believing. Peter not so sure yet, running back. So what do you do after you've had a experience, a resurrection experience, and it's later on in the evening, and we're going to pick up the story in John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 29, this is Easter Sunday night. So what do you do after you've seen the resurrected Lord? You do everything that we would do. You get in a room and lock the doors. <laughs> that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Now catch that out. Didn't say Jesus knocked on the door. It just said, suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And so they told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the wounds in his hands and I put my fingers in them and placed my hand into the wound in his side. 
Well, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe me because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Have you ever told somebody something and they didn't believe you? (laughs) I was thinking about when my brother uh, had their first baby. We were part of this denomination that that the head of the denomination was kind of like our pope. I mean, he was he was like a celebrity in that small denomination we were in and and you know everyone knew knew of him and you know when he was around it was a big deal. Well, my wife was married to a, a lady that kind of was from royalty within that little denomination. Not the head of it, but her 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 dad was the district superintendent of Arkansas. So the head of the denomination calls my brother Paul to congratulate him on the birth of his baby. And so Paul answers the phone and he says, Hello, this is Nathaniel Ershon. I've just called to congratulate you on the birth of your baby. And my brother Paul said, Yeah, right, and I'm Ronald Reagan. And he said, No, this really is Nathaniel Ershon. And he said, yeah, and this really is Ronald Reagan. And they went back and forth for a little while until my brother was finally convinced, oh, my goodness, this really was the head of the denomination. I, I, it's, 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 uh, it's frustrating when someone doesn't believe you when, when you tell them something. We were, we were uh, going to dinner the other night with Natalie and Ben, and I said, I heard about this new Asian fusion restaurant that's on the south side of the river. One of my Uber riders told me about it. Said it's this eight, and we were when we were going to a uh, to a Chinese lights festival, so we thought it'd be cool to eat Asian food. Heard about this Asian fusion restaurant? Well, they'd seen they'd seen the house. It's a it's a restored house on the river. Nothing about the house says Asian fusion. It just says restaurant, and uh, and so. My son-in-law was gigging me. Yeah, right. It's not an Asian. Re- it's not an Asian. And I'm like, okay. I'm just telling you what they told me. Said it was Asian fusion. They're laughing their heads off at me. This is not an Asian. So, but we'll check out the restaurant anyway and see what they got. So we get to the restaurant. We get there and there and on the menu, it's all Asian food. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so the waiter come by and I said, so Ben could hear me. Would you describe this as sort of a Asian fusion restaurant? He goes, "Yes, that's exactly what I would call it." And I just said, <laughs> "I thought of that when when I thought about this Thomas story, where Thomas didn't happen to be there, and he uh, he doesn't believe." In fairness to Ben and Natalie, they, I haven't been right about everything in the past, so they had reason to not believe me, but uh, not because I lie, just. Sometimes don't remember correctly. So not only are they are they um, in this upper room with the doors locked, 
but they're having a meeting. And, and I'm wondering what's, the, what's on the agenda at the meeting. What do you talk about on the night that, you've, that, that John, he believes, Mary has come and told them, he said my name. And so they're having a meeting, and, 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 I, and I'm imagining things at the meeting being said like, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. They're behind locked doors. You, you see, in my imagination, if Jesus simply dies, eventually the disciples are going to be okay. Because Jesus dies, all of the uproar about Jesus finally dies down. The disciples can go back to fishing and go back to their lives. But if Jesus is alive, all bets are off. And it's a whole new world. If Jesus comes back from the grave, that, my friends, is dangerous. And so the scripture says they're, they're afraid specifically of the Jewish leaders. Because if Jesus is alive and word gets out about that, guess who the Jewish leaders are probably after next? <laughs> if the body's missing, who stole the body? If somebody knows about it, who was it? So here they are, they're hunkered down and they're terrified. If you're taking notes in your worship guides, the first thing I want you to write down is fear will paralyze your progress. Fear will paralyze your progress. Fear has a way of shutting us down, doesn't it? I'm not a naturally fearful person. I, um, I was raised in a very secure environment. Um, honestly, when I grew up in Illinois... We didn't lock our doors. We never locked our doors. It was worse than that. We did not only didn't lock our doors, we left the keys in the car. That way you never lose your keys. You just, you just keep the keys in the car, and, and you don't lock the doors. And, and I just grew up to be in a very trusting kind of environment. I tend to trust people. I tend to, I tend to not be too afraid I, I'm not worried about things getting stole from me because I don't steal most of the time. I say most of the time because I actually I kind of did the other day. I was, uh, I was helping Mike find a new apartment complex, and we got to this nice apartment complex, and uh, they rolled out the red carpet, and they were like, gentlemen, would you like some soda? Uh, would you like something to drink? And they were showing him the apartment complex. And when the guy went back to get us drinks, I looked on his desk, and he had in a jar with a lid on it my favorite kind of Cadbury eggs. I mean, those, those really good Cadbury eggs. And so the guy's gone. I take the lid off, reach in the deal, and get it. Put it back. Guy comes back with our drinks. Now, I'm not feeling guilty. I mean, it's on the guy's desk. He's the hospitality guy. But, he's, but, but now the guy's standing there with drinks, and I go for the lid again for my second handful, and as I'm reaching, and the guy says, no, 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 those are for a contest. People are guessing how many eggs are in that jar. I have to confess, I didn't admit to the first handful. 
that I'd already eaten. So I know that contest, the results are off. But, but, I, but I've tended to live sort of a charmed life. I've just I've felt safe and secure growing up. And, uh, and then last year, we were over in Gatlinburg for a little getaway. And Melanie came home to do some work. And when she came home, somebody had been in our house. Both of our televisions were ripped off the walls. Our back door had been kicked in. We don't even normally lock the doors. I shouldn't admit this. But we were going to be out of town. We had locked the door. They kicked in the doors. And in some ways, our little secure world changed. And now we have this new thing in our house called an alarm system. I hate it. We keep setting it off by accident because we, we never remember it's on. We're always getting these texts. Your alarm is going off. Turn it off before the police are called, you know. So now we've got these alarms and we've become more security conscious and all of that. And I, and I, and I just want to say that even as a pastor, that, that, that if I'm not careful, the older I'm getting, I get, the, 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 the enemy would speak into my ear Play it safe. Don't take a lot of risks. Don't put yourself out there too much. You're too close to retirement, you know, and if you put yourself out there, things may not go so well for you. Play it, play it safe. It's, it's, it's a temptation. The disciples are up there having a safety meeting. How do we keep ourselves safe? Can I just say that um, not only if Jesus is dead, is it more harmless for the disciples? Can I just say that if our church is dead, we're we're more harmless? If our church is dead, the devil doesn't really need to bother us. If our church is dead, there's not too much to be concerned about. But if, if, we start living as if Jesus really rose from the dead. Look out. Look out. Suddenly there's the, there's the target. And, and, and Jesus invites us. Jesus invites us to this great adventure that also has some danger involved in it. Because if we're really going to be alive, if we're really going to get out of our get out of our locked doors, if we're going to get out of out of these walls and share with people the good news that Jesus is alive, all hell is on alert. It's the truth. It's the truth. So fear, fear will paralyze us. Dale Carnegie said this, Inaction breeds doubt and fear, but action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, don't sit at home and think about it. Go out and get busy. That the more that we, that we hunker down, the more fearful we are. Angela Merkel, who's the, the, uh, the chancellor of, uh, of Germany, she knows a little bit about fear because she grew up in East Germany. And one time Putin met with her and just to intimidate her, brought a big dog with him 
just to scare her, just to try to scare uh, Angela Merkel when, when, uh, when uh, she was meeting with him. But she's got this great quote. She said, fear has never been a good advisor. Fear has never been a good advisor, neither in our personal lives nor in society. But what did Jesus say? He didn't say, be courageous. What Jesus said was, peace. Peace be unto you. And and, and as you're taking notes, the antidote, peace is the antidote to fear. What what Jesus calls his disciples to be in a world that's risky, in a world that's dangerous, in a world that doesn't always feel safe, is he asks us to be people of peace. There's a phrase that I like that I learned in seminary about um, when you visit a hospital. They were teaching us that pastors, when you visit a hospital, what you need to be is you need to be a non-anxious presence. A non-anxious presence. There's a lot of anxiety that's going on. They've got diagnosis going on. The nurses are rushing around doing their thing. The doctors are frantically trying to, trying to bring uh, cures. But what we've got to do, what we've got to do is to be a non-anxious presence. You know, I, I thought about what we need to be in this world that is very anxiety. Have anyone noticed that the world seems to be very anxious right now? Whatever news outlet you watch, it's anxiety 24-7. Stock market up 500, down 500. You know, it's, it's, it's very anxiety-provoking times. And we, as people of faith, aren't just told to be courageous. We're told to be peaceful, to be, to be a non-anxious presence in the world. There's a story about a, a ship that uh, was, was, uh, was uh, going through a, a major storm and the sailors were down below and they were frantically fearing for their life and the storm wasn't getting better and they were afraid that they were going to die. And then one of the sailors, he went up to the deck and he came back and the storm had not gotten better, but he said to the crew, we're going to be all right and we're not going to die. They said, how can you tell? Because the storm's still raging. And he said, because I saw the captain's face and the f- captain was smiling. I saw the captain's face and the captain was smiling. I think it really behooves us, church, that in a world that's full of anxiety, Jesus comes into their security meeting and the first thing that he says to them is peace. And then he shows them his hand and his side. It's interesting to me, he didn't show them his scepter. He showed them his scars. He didn't show him uh, his, his victory robe. He showed them his scars. And, 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 and I want to say, that, that, that we connect, we connect at the area of our scars. The, the way that we connect with one another is that all of us, if we're honest, are carrying scars. You, you're here this morning and you've been through some battles and I've been through some battles and the place that we relate the most to each other as Jesus reintroduces himself 
to the disciples again. The first thing that he shows them is I want you to see my scars. That's the place of connection. How are we going to get outside of these walls? How is Jesus going to get those disciples ever to get up out of their huddle and get out of those walls? And what we learn here is that we're not going to get out of the walls of the church based upon our gifts and talents. We're not going to get out of these walls because we're so good at doing what we do. Have you ever thought you were good at doing what you do? I I grew up in a small church in Illinois, and we used to have these things called sword drills. Anyone know what a sword drill is? A sword drill, the, the Bible was your sword. So we would take the Bible, and the teacher would call out Jeremiah 4, 6, and we would have a race to see the first one that could get to Jeremiah 4, 6, stand up and read it, and uh, then, then you were the winner of, the sword, of that question. And you'd do maybe 10 of those, and whoever got the most won the sword drill. It taught us to know about our Bibles and how to find things and all that. So I grew up in that small church. One day we were on vacation, and we went to St. Paul, Minnesota, to a big church. I was from a small church in a small town. We went to a big church, and I remember feeling confident, and I remember, I remember uh, saying to some of the kids around me, oh, I'm good at this. I'm going to win. <laughs> I got this. They did that sword drill, and they started calling out scriptures. Before I could find where the New Testament was, they were standing up giving the answers. I mean, they were just, they were so much better than I was. It was a big church. They had more competition. They did it more often. And I remember they just sitting there feeling like, oh my goodness. I say that to say, you know, before we came here, I pastored in a small town and we saw God do great things. And I remember when I came to, uh, to Knoxville thinking, this is going to be easy, man. We've done this before. It's not easy. It's not easy. And, and, and Jesus says, if you're going to do what I'm calling you to do, it's not going to be because you're so good at it. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. Our mission, as you're taking notes, can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we prayed for the service this week, we didn't pray, God help Phil do good. Lord help Emily do good. Help the, uh, the, the, the uh, children's teachers to do good. We prayed, no, Holy Spirit, come into this place. In spite of all of our inadequacies, In spite of all, Lord God, the the things that can go wrong, we need your Holy Spirit to move in this place. And Jesus, the Bible says, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We've got a lot of talented and smart people at Life Church, but what we need is not more talent and more smarts. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, to build. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are unabashedly a spirit-filled church. We ask God, Holy Spirit, fill us. We need you to do the work. And what is our job? Our job, this is, this is a crazy thing that, that he says in this passage. He says, Tell people, 
tell people, he, he says to go out there and forgive people of their sins. And he said, and if you do it, their sins are forgiven. And then he says something really crazy. And if you don't, they're not. What? Well, first of all, I can't forgive sins. Jesus isn't saying that we are the agents of forgiveness. But he is putting the pressure on us to say, I just rose from the grave. But it's your job to go out and tell everybody. And you are to tell people that their sins have been forgiven. And if you don't get to them, they don't know. If you don't tell them, you are my hands and feet. Our job, church, is to go out, is to not to stay inside these locked doors and hunker down until Jesus comes back and takes us away. But he invites us, hey, I'll be right back in a minute, but he invites us to go outside of these doors and he invites us to tell a world that's out there, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. I just had to go tell some people out there. Your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. That's, the, that, that's what our role is. That's what our role is, to go and tell people, hey folks, the war is over. Your sins have been forgiven. To get outside of these doors and to let the world know that. Not just hope that they might come in to our locked door meeting and appear among us. But our job is to go out and let people know the good news. You know, I was, I was, I was reading something kind of crazy last night. A guy named Hiro Onoda, a Japanese intelligence officer, stayed on his little Philippine island for 29 years after World War II, still trying to defend his island still trying to defend his island, and still fighting World War II. There was actually some pamphlets that fell from the Allies saying that the war was over, but he thought it was a trick. He didn't believe it. For 29 years, he continued the war. Finally, an adventurer came to his island and and saw the guy. And he said, hey man, give it up. The war's over. And you know what he said? He said, until a superior officer comes and tells me that the war is over, I'm not going to give up my post. And, and the story went on to say that they flew one of the officers from the military that went and found this guy on the island and said, at ease, son, you can go home. The war is over. Our job, church is to let people know that the war is over. Our job, church, is to let people know that Jesus Christ is alive. We're not just like trying to make this little part of society where we've got the Christians in our corner, the atheists in their corner, and everyone believing something different. We are to be radical people that are filled with the Holy Spirit that walk out of this place and we say, your sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. And then he says, and if you don't do it, if you don't do it, 
What do you mean? Jesus didn't die for those? Yes, Jesus died for those people. But he gave us the great commission to go out and to tell everyone. And it's our job. And let me just tell you something. If we don't tell them, they may never know that the war is over. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making the appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Isn't that amazing? That, the, that Jesus has given us the spirit and the, of reconciliation and that we are to be God's agents to tell people the war is over. Your sins have been forgiven. Amen. And then there's Thomas. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking about a, a marketing principle last night called diffusion of innovation theory. And all of that, all that means is that we all don't accept innovation at the same time. There are people that are called innovators that they're they're just they're all about a new idea before anyone else is. And then there's people that we call them early adopters. The early adopters they get on board quickly. They get on before most everyone else does. They're early adopters. And then there's people we call early majority. And and those people. Those people get on just before everyone else does. Then there's late majority. They're a little late to the game. And then there's people they call laggards. They're, they're stuck in the past. They don't, they don't want anything new. They don't want... Uh, um, I said, Coy just confessed. He said laggard right there. I saw that. I saw that hand. I saw that hand. Laggard. Thomas, Thomas may have been a, a, a late majority, or he may, have been, he may have even been a laggard. He may have been. Let me just tell you something I kind of admire about Thomas. He wasn't in the safety meeting the first time. He's like, y'all, y'all can sit around here and y'all can sit around here and try to, you know, figure out what to do. But I, I got things to do and places to go and people to meet. Didn't work out the way we wanted to. And, and so Thomas isn't even there. He's not even there. And they told him, and they told him, we've seen the Lord. He's like, yeah, right. And, um, and and can I just say that I think Thomas has has really gotten a raw deal throughout the years. You know, in 2011, the Barna research, uh, Barna did a research about why people don't go to church, and of the top six reasons, one of the reasons were the church is unfriendly to those who doubt. That the church is unwelcoming of doubters. The church doesn't like people that ask questions. The church doesn't really, you know, take to people who, who, uh, who are a fly in the ointment, if you will. Come on, Thomas. Get with it. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. But, you know, we were talking to a woman last week of the Baha'i faith. She said that uh, in the Baha'i faith, when you reach the age whether you're going to become a part of that faith or not, and some do and some don't. And I said, we, is that God has no grandchildren. You don't just sort of inherit your faith 
from somebody else. But you have to have your only else. We've seen the Lord. But isn't that really need of God? Because he repeats locked doors, appears to him at the meeting, says, peace be still, and then he knows what Touch my side. And I want to say doubt is a door to belief. In fact, people who never have the opportunity buy in. You've got to be able to... Then we're not strong enough. If we're not strong enough to be tested by people's... But, but doubt is often a doorway to believe. And then the next thing I want to ask believers. You know that the greatest statement of faith probably ever mentioned in the Bible is the, my Lord and my God. Thomas had his encounter, and he doesn't take, and he doesn't even take Jesus up to do it. And Thomas says, "That's enough for me." My Lord, I've labeled through the years, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. I, I think we attribute when he says, "Blessed are those who do not see." and yet believe. Can I give you another interpretation? So John's telling the story of, John, of Thomas and the disciples and all of that. Almost like this. John is reading us here at Life Church in 2000 there on that night of the resurrection and then eight days later. And then imagine us in 2018. And he says, but believe. And yet believe. He's not just telling stories. Why do I believe that's true? Because the very next scripture that's do many other miracles. So, so imagine once again John is saying this now to us. The ones that are recorded in this book. But these are written that you might have life in his name. Story of all that. Not so I could tell you about Thomas was a laggard. But Jesus walking into this room. And, he, and John says to you, Blessed are. The last point I want to make as you're taking notes is not seeing is believing. But John says believing is seeing. My wife comes from Missouri. They call that the show me state. Show me. No, no, no. Uh, our friend um, Euler, on sabbatical up in Johnson City, he's, he's writing. And he's sometimes feeling good about his writing and sometimes he's not feeling good about his writing and um, he was going through one of those dry spells and and Eula and I had lunch this week he was going through one of those dry spells in his writing and uh, I asked Eulen if I could share with you what he shared with me so Eulen texted me last night and said I'd love for you to share it He said, I was frustrated about my writing, which I consider for the Lord was going slowly. I need some help. At my age, will I live long enough to get this done? I'm confused about some personal relationships and decisions I have to make. And lots of other uncertainties. Lord, show me, reveal me what you want me to do. I'm going along blind. And as if my soul had suddenly acquired ears, I heard you blind I want you I want to know what God's doing in this church know that and I want to know what's going to happen if we leave those doors is it going to be I want you blind in John 9:39 and Jesus says I entered this world to render judgment to give sight that they are blind 
We live in an upside-down kingdom. We're walking through not having all the answers, being people of peace in a world that's very anxious. These words of encouragement, blessed are you. Blessed are you. You're not, you're not in it for the results. You're not in it because we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to ask God to... So though we don't have a physical manifestation of Jesus, we can see today. Is there anyone that would... I want to be included in a prayer to invite Jesus Christ into my life. In spite of all of my questions, I believe. If that's you, would you raise your hand in this place today? Amen. And if you're here today and you heard the word Spirit and go out and announce forgiveness of sins, if you're willing to be on opportunity to tell a world that the war is over, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell those around you, amen. Heavenly Father, we just ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would touch us and open the eyes of our heart, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, you are the lives. And we put our faith in you in spite of all of our questions and all of our doubts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen.